When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the award-winning Thoughts from a Page podcast, a member of the Evergreen Podcast Network, hosted by me, Cindy Burnett, a voracious reader and book columnist who provides you with casual author conversations and book recommendation episodes, as well as insider information on all of the newest releases that I personally endorse and on the publishing industry in my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. For more book recommendations or to find my backlist of interviews, visit my website at thoughtsfromapage.com. Have you read a book recently that really resonated with you and makes you want to read more books like it? If so, submit a read-alike request to me through the Google form included in today's show notes and tell me why you loved it, and I will suggest some similar reads on a future Tuesday episode. If you are interested in reading some great books before they publish, I hope you will consider joining my Patreon group to access digital early reads and pre-pub author chats as well as my new Traveling Galley program. For May, my early read selection is Banyan Moon by Tao Tai. For June, The Bones of the Story by Carol Goodman. And for July, The Book of Silver Linings by Nan Fisher. The link to join is in my show notes. Today, I am chatting with Paige Toon about Only Love Can Hurt Like This. Paige grew up between England, Australia, and America, and has been writing emotional love stories since 2007. She has published 15 novels, a three-part spinoff series for young adults, and a collection of short stories. Only Love Can Hurt Like This is her first novel published in the United States. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Welcome, Paige. How are you today? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great, and I'm so excited to chat with you, and we're getting to talk on your actual U.S. pub day, so congratulations. Thank you so much. It's, yeah, it's a very exciting, nerve-wracking uh, moment for me. I get that. And you have published all sorts of books and sold so many copies, and this is your U.S. debut, is that correct? Yes, that's right. Well, so that's doubly exciting. I know, it's been a long time coming. <laughs> I bet so. Hence the nerves today. <laughs> I get that. But I checked on Goodreads before we hopped on, just to kind of remind myself about everything, and the reviews are glowing, so you clearly have nothing to worry about. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I haven't checked my Goodreads yet um, today, but I must do that. Well, I don't know. I always say to authors, maybe you don't need to check it. You know, you don't know. I don't know. It's one of those nerve-wracking things, but they're so good, you should go ahead and check it. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Before we get started, why don't you give me a quick synopsis of Only Love Can Hurt Like This? Okay. Um, so this is the story of Ren, and at the very beginning of the book, she witnesses the moment that her fiance realizes that he's in love with someone else. 
So she's completely heartbroken. Um, We pick up with her three months later and she's on her way to see her father in Indiana. Her father left her mother when she was only about five or six years old because he basically got another woman pregnant. So Ren went back to the UK and, you know, her half-sister got to grow up with her dad as her own. So, um, So Ren has kind of come back to stay with her, with her father for maybe just a couple of weeks of the summer holidays. And she always feels like a visitor when she's visiting her stepfamily. But you know, over the course of a whole summer, which it ends up being, she, you know, gets to know her family. And more importantly, she gets to know this very hot man who, um, who is the brother of the farmer who lives next door. <laughs> so yeah, there's a whole sort of story with, um, with Anders and Jonas. Jonas is the farmer and he's, um, he's struggling with his mental health and his brother Anders has come home for the summer to support him. And he and Ren literally bump into each other, um, one night in a cornfield amongst fireflies and, She's a little bit drunk and they end up, you know, having quite a lot of banter, but it's a slow burn romance. And I have to stress that because it takes a while because for things to really get going, because Anders is constantly keeping Ren at arm's length. And there is a reason for that. He's got this earth shattering secret, which Ren will later find out, which makes this a really impossible love story. So how did you come up with the idea for this one? I was so curious as I was reading it. Oh, okay. Um, well, I, I had a, a lot of different ideas. You know, the moment where they bump into each other in the fields, I came up with that as I was walking around the fields near my home during the pandemic. It was nighttime and I just imagined a character stumbling home drunk from a bar and bumping into a hot farmer. (laughs) So that was the (laughs) the initial idea. And, you know, little ideas like that will pop into my head at any given moment and usually somehow find their way into a book. But the actual, the story sort of hinges on this, this secret that Anders has and this, this situation. And you know, that's really the the main idea that I had for this book, you know, and I had it, you know, years ago, and I've, I've just been trying to think of the right way to use it. And I actually came up with the idea, I used to, I spent some time in Indianapolis when I was, when I was younger. And I remember hearing about this situation. And then in more recent years, a friend of a friend had this situation. And it was just, it's just the most heartbreaking thing to imagine for the people involved that I just thought, you know, what would, you know, what would I do? Yeah, that so that gave me this idea for for Anders. You know, what would he do um, in this situation? How will Ren handle it when she does discover the truth? And yeah, so it's a it's a bit of a like I say, an impossible love story. It is. It's a difficult situation, and obviously, no spoilers. But you're doing a wonderful job of describing everything that's happening without giving any spoilers. But it is just an impossible situation, and I was so curious as I was reading what it was building up to. And then when you revealed it, I was like, oh, and you just really sit there and think, what would I do in that situation? Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's, it's really tricky. And obviously I did a lot of research around it. I mean, I always do loads and loads of research and I, and I did a, you know, so much research around this condition and, um, oh, just some of the videos that I watched and, and the first, you know, hand accounts from people who, had found themselves in a similar situation were just completely heartbreaking. I mean, it was a really emotional for me to write. And, you know, I was, I felt emotional for Anders, but I also felt emotional for one other character in particular who you don't meet until, you know, later on down the line. And, and I think that was, you know, that was the hardest thing to write. It's funny, you know, like I've had lots of, um, I've seen lots of bookstagrammer reviews, um, so far from people who've had early reading copies and I haven't seen a, like nobody has guessed the ending yet, which is, you know, no one has guessed the twist. So it'll be interesting, you know, once I start seeing actual, you know, sort of reader reviews rolling in as to whether or not anyone will guess it, you know, seeing as we're talking about it such a lot, you know, I wonder if they'll go into it thinking, oh, it must be this or it must be that. But yeah, it'll be interesting to find out. It certainly will. 
So my next question was already going to be about you living in Indianapolis, which you mentioned. So this story has a little bit more of a personal note to you. You lived in Indianapolis, and then your dad was an Indy car driver. So let's talk a little bit about that and why you decided to work that into the book. Sure. Well, um, well yes, you know, I, I spent a bit of time in Indianapolis when I was a child, and that's, you know, how I remember all the fireflies and, and things like that. And then uh, in my 20s, my dad ran an Indy Lights team out of Indianapolis with Stefan Johansson. And, and, you know, I went back and spent some time there in my 20s and just really loved the city, you know, made friends there. We went to so many of the places that I write about in the book, you know, like this, the Ratzkeller, you know, this, this amazing German bar and um, Fountain Square, you know, where they go duck pin bowling and, you know, just things like Midland Arts and Antiques and, you know, all these different sort of places that, you know, I reference in the book are kind of places that I really loved. And in fact, Anders' apartment, you know, he lives in this in this um, silk loft conversion. And that was the apartment that my parents lived in when I was there. So I was able to really write about things that I knew. And I just tend to do that all the time with all of my books. You know, my books are set in places all around the world. And, you know, usually it's where I want to go on holiday, you know, and I decide to set a book there or write some scenes there. Because I've just found ever since my, my debut novel, Lucy in the Sky, that every, you know, if I can go to the places that I'm writing about, and if I can write about real places, then it just, it brings so much more of a connection to me and my characters. I mean, they feel extremely real to me. Anyone who's seen me like bawling my eyes out on Instagram will, will see, you know, just how much of an emotional connection I build to my, you know, build with my characters. So yes, to write about places that I've also lived and, and experienced, you know, was really nice. And I couldn't write about Indianapolis without including some sort of racing link. So Anders is a race engineer for, for an IndyCar team. And that was fun, you know, just being able to include a little bit of that too. We love to travel. And I completely agree with you that I think visiting someplace or spending some time living there, whichever it is, really helps you bring the place to life because it makes such a difference if you've read about someplace or you've seen photos of it. But when you actually visit it, it's just so different than trying to conjure up the different things that are happening there if you haven't had boots on the ground. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I, like I say, I just feel so, so connected to my characters. If I can sit in the places that they would want to sit, and look at what they might see. And it makes my readers feel as though they're there because, you know, they can just small details and, and things that they might have, might see, you know, just makes the story feel so much more realistic. So I think it's a really, really important part of my research. I think that's exactly right. And the story does have a very strong sense of place. So in addition to Indianapolis, a lot of it is set on a farm in, in a more rural area in Indiana. So how did you decide on that aspect of the story for the setting? Well, so Initially, when I came up with the idea of this this girl sort of stumbling home drunk from a bar and bumping into a hot farmer under the stars, you know, in the middle of a field, I was imagining UK. And it was only after that I started thinking, well, I haven't written about Indianapolis or Indiana before. And and I was just imagining how much nicer that setting would be, you know, just in a, in cornfields and, you know, with fireflies and and big red barns, you know, and I just that that just sold it to me. You know, I had this this really strong visual image of you know, the setting and just wanted to set it there. And then so much of the rest of the story kind of followed and, you know, came on from that. One of the things as I was looking through the reviews that's really resonating with people is the rural Indiana setting. People were really liking that it's on a farm and in rural America. So that clearly is a hit for people. Oh, well, that's cool. And I mean, I, you know, I did so much farming research. I don't think you'll realize when you're reading it, because it's not, you're not supposed to, you know, like it's all just woven in hopefully fairly seamlessly. But you know, I spoke to like the Indiana, Indiana Department of Agriculture to sort of talk about Indiana farming. And, you know, I found um, a farmer who work, you know, has like a farm in, in sort of Southern Indiana. And, you know, 
he had a blog that he wrote in every three days, you know, so I was just able to kind of like weave in different aspects of farming. And then I also just spoke to the farmer who, who, you know, lives in like basically owns the fields that I was walking around during the pandemic in. And, and, you know, that's a family farm that's been passed down something like 250 years. And so that inspired, you know, the, the idea of this, uh, of this farm, you know, which is basically was created with, with Swedish settlers, you know, many, many years ago, 170 years ago. And it's passed down from oldest brother to oldest brother. And so I was interested in that as a, as a subject to explore as well, you know, just this feeling of duty and, you know, honor sort of having to take over the family legacy, whether or not you wanted to or not. So that's where some of, you know, there's some mental health issues that come in, which also is really relevant to farming. And yeah, Jonas and his um, older brother is the one who's taken on, uh, taken on the farm. And the reason Anders has gone back home for for the summer is, ba- is because his older brother is having some mental health problems. So that was another subject that I needed to, to tackle when it came to farming. You're doing a great job of leading me into my next question each time, because my next question was literally going to be, you have a Q&A in the back of the book, and it talks about farming and mental health and how prevalent depression is among farmers. I was fascinated by that. Why is that? Do you know? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's one of these professions that so much is out of your control. You know, it's, you're so dependent on the weather and, you know, aspects and things that you just cannot control that I think to be a farmer, you know, it's a very uncertain profession. You know, if it's, if it's raining too hard, you can't get out in the fields, even if you need to, you know, and there's just so many things that can go wrong. I think the fact that they, farmers often have access to firearms, you know, is obviously a very easy way out. But it is one of the highest professions for suicide, you know, which is just, it really shocked me when I discovered that. So yeah, it was something that I wanted to shine a light on for sure. I thought that was really interesting. It was definitely something I didn't know. And I was glad you included the mental health aspect because I do think that is so important to everybody these days. There's just a lot of struggling with mental health and to normalize the struggle and to understand that so many people are going through it, I think is wonderful. Oh, thank you. Well, sibling relationships, that is something that is a big focus in the book, and I enjoyed that. Do you have siblings? I do. I have an older brother. And so did you wrap some of that into the story? Um, not really. I don't tend to write about my, I don't tend to write about real things or sort of, you know, real, real feelings and, you know, real people so much. You know, I try to, I'm so deep into the character's head when I'm writing and I write my books quite quickly. So I'm just incredibly immersed in what she would be feeling and how she would be dealing with these different situations. So, so I don't really include, you know, my own family scenarios so much. Sometimes I'll be writing a a little bit from experience, but, but in this situation, not so much. Well, and I guess there's two different sibling relationships here. There's Jonas and Anders, which were kind of standard in the same family brought up together. And then there's Ren and Bailey who are step siblings and were not raised in the same home. So that would be a very different relationship. Yes, completely. And um, Ren and Bailey are, are half sisters. You know, her father, her father had an affair when Ren was about five years old and got this other woman pregnant. And her father chooses the other woman, so Ren's mother takes her back to the UK. And you know, basically, Bailey, her half sister, gets to grow up, you know, with her dad. And so it's a really that was a really tricky relationship to start with because. You know, Ren Ren only really knows her dad for maybe a couple of weeks a year. You know, she doesn't he doesn't know her, you know, she doesn't really know him, but she you know, they'll catch up like once a year or so. But she kind of never really feels settled. She she feels a bit like she's when they have this family dinner this one time, she feels like she's kind of walked in on somebody else's family dinner. 
And so she's a little, you know, I, I kind of really played on the title of Only Love Can Hurt Like This. You know, it's not just the romantic relationship between Ren and Anders, you know, but it's also to do with, you know, this relationship she has with her father. But, and also her stepmother, you know, I loved building that relationship with her and her stepmother because, you know, they had a tricky, you know, tricky situation when Ren was kind of coming over as a, as a child, you know, I think her stepmother, Cheryl was very jealous and, um, used to, used to make Ren feel a bit uncomfortable, but just for her to now be back, she hasn't even seen her half sister Bailey for five years and Bailey's now a bit older. There was, there's a six year age gap between them, but that's less noticeable now that Ren's, you know, Ren's 33, um, when the book begins and. Bailey's, you know, 27. So there's, it was really, really lovely being able to write that relationship, you know, where they go on this night out, have a bit of fun. Then you kind of realize that it's, you know, still quite a surface relationship. And then over the course of the novel, you know, they get to know each other on a deeper level. And, you know, Ren and, uh, sorry, Anders and Jonas, you know, those brothers, like they're very close. And, and, you know, Ren sort of says, I wonder if one day Bailey and I will ever be that close. And I really think you see that starting to move in that direction by the end of the novel, which was a really heartwarming thing for me to be able to write. Well, poor Ren, she just feels wrong-footed initially the whole time because she is kind of uncomfortable in this situation. She doesn't exactly know where she fits in. And as you mentioned, there's a lot of hurt from when she was younger and she's just trying to work through some of that as well. That's right. I mean, it's not really a conversation she's ever had with her dad because she doesn't really feel like she knows him well enough to be able to have that conversation. So she's just, she is just trying to find her way through it. And Initially, she's only going to be there for two weeks. She knows that her dad's quite busy. They're, they've bought this this fruit picking farm, you know, where where they're living now, and you know they've got opening day sort of happening. And she knows that her dad's going to be busy, and she didn't mind, you know, because she was just thinking, well, it's not that we're going to be sitting down having lots of heart to hearts anyway. And yeah, and then then something happens that means that Ren can stay longer. And then once she does, and once you know, once they kind of break through this awkwardness into more of a family, and once she realizes as well that she's had preconceptions about them that she's got wrong. And then that's really lovely how it kind of unfolds from there, you know, and that relationship develops and, and becomes a bit deeper. It's a good reminder for everyone that sometimes you come into a relationship with all of these preconceived notions and that to try to set those aside and just focus on the here and now and what's really happening. Absolutely. And it's so easy to do that, isn't it? Like everybody does it. Everyone, you know, assumes that, um, you know, that person's that person's been a bit rude to me. You know, what have I done? What, you know, what, what have I done wrong, you know, to cause them to be a bit rude? And actually that person's probably just having a bad day because something bad happened to them, which has nothing to do with you, you know? And it's that sort of, that kind of misconception and, you know, misunderstanding, I think that can lead to, you know, difficulties when you don't know someone well enough to really know, you know, what's upsetting them or, you know, if, um, if you've just misunderstood a situation. Exactly. Or it has absolutely nothing to do with you, as you mentioned. And that's something I always was telling my kids when they were younger. Like, don't take it personally. It's probably related to something totally different, you know, if this person was unkind to you. But then it's hard to remember it yourself. I was laughing, thinking, I know that happens to me sometimes. And it's a good way to remember to just wipe the slate clean. Yeah, absolutely. So toward the end, you switch perspectives as you're telling the story. Did you always decide to do that? Or was that something that you came to as you were writing? How did that work? Yes, usually with my books, I know exactly how they're going to pan out. I know exactly, you know, what how the whole story is going to unfold, you know, right down to the last moment. But that did take me by surprise. Like I got to that point in the story and I was just like, oh, I think we might need to see it from this other character's perspective and really kind of witness what's been going on. And that was when all of the emotion for me, like there were moments up until that point, which, you know, made my eyes prick with tears. But from that moment that I switched characters and was really able to get inside that person's head and see what they were going through. 
you know, that for me was kind of, that was when all of my emotion came absolutely pouring out of me, you know, and just, you know, it, it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. But also it was helpful to understand a little bit more what was going on and understand that character's motivations. Yes. You know, because I think for some readers, maybe they won't understand that. You know, I think Ren is quite, she's quite forgiving and quite understanding. Not initially when she discovers this, you know, this whole, you know, situation, this impossible situation, but when she kind of like comes to understand it a little bit more. And certainly it, I think it does help you're right, you know, to be inside that character's head to just to really understand what that's like, you know, to sort of imagine putting yourself in that position even more and, and living, you know, living in that moment. Cause I write all of my books from the first person present tense. Cause I really love to be inside the character's head, experiencing what they're experiencing as they're experiencing it. But yes, I very rarely switch, you know, switch into a different character. So I found that, I, I, you know, I was, I was, yeah, I was an emotional wreck <laughs> when I did that. So be interesting to know what the readers are too. So let's talk about your cover. I'm a huge cover person, but I'm not really a fan of all of the graphic cartoony romance covers. So I love your cover. Do you just love it? I absolutely love it. And when I, the second I saw it, I was just like, yes, they have nailed it. Because all of my UK covers as well, are basically when I started writing, you know, my earlier books are a little bit more, you know, they're a bit lighter, a bit funnier. There's always some moment in there that makes me want to cry. Like, and I've, I think I've cried with every single one of my books. You know, I do write sort of emotional love stories rather than rom-coms, but I don't think you really get that feeling from so many of my earlier covers that they look like rom-coms. So this was perfect. It was all about, you know, I remember when I changed publishers and I was, you know, sort of said to my new publisher, Penguin, you know, I, I really want to find like a publisher who can nail what an emotional love story looks like, because there aren't that many of them, you know, like there are not that many authors to my knowledge who write the sort of books that I write. Like Colleen Hoover is one of my absolute favorite authors, you know, I've been reading her books since 2013 and, you know, and I just kind of wanted to try and capture that. And so for them to, you know, come up with this sort of exploding flower, it kind of, I mean, I think it's absolutely beautiful. It look, I love the colors as well, but, you know, you just get this, this essence that this perfect thing is not so perfect. And then with the title, Only Love Can Hurt Like This, you know, I think, I really think my publishers nailed it. <laughs> I agree completely. And the flower even looks like it could have been kind of in the shape of a heart and as it's exploding, like it's a larger heart. I know it isn't, but it just kind of has that look about it. I think they did a wonderful job. Oh, great. Yes. <laughs> I'm super, super happy. And I'm really thrilled as well, you know, because my, my publisher Putnam of, you know, we've just signed another book deal. So, and, um, and I've also taken four of my backlist books. So, so I'm really excited. You know, I'm, uh, my American journey is, is beginning today, but it's, you know, it's, it, there's hopefully a, a long road ahead, which is, yeah, really, really exciting. Oh, that is really exciting. Congratulations on that as well. Thank you. Well, before we wrap up, what have you read recently that you really liked? Well, actually, it's out today. Happy Place by Emily Henry. You know, I absolutely love that. Um, so thoroughly recommend that one. And the other one that I've just read recently, which I really enjoyed is Beth O'Leary's The Wake Up Call. And that, I don't think that's out for another six months or so, but, you know, definitely add that one to your, to your basket because um, I think you'll really enjoy it. I love Beth's really warm style of writing. So, and Emily Henry is just one of my favorite authors. So I definitely recommend those two. Emily Henry is so popular as well as Beth O'Leary. She's the flat chair writer, right? Yes, that's right. Yes. My daughter loves her. So that's good to know that there's another one coming up. Absolutely. Well, Paige, thank you so much for joining me today on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. This was so much fun to chat and good luck getting Only Love Can Hurt Like This out into the world. Thank you so much. And yes, I'm looking forward to seeing pictures of it on 
supermarket and bookshop shelves. (laughs) So exciting. Thank you so much, Cindy. It was lovely to talk to you. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.